Welcome to the Gut Doctor Podcast, where Dr. Neil Parikh describes GI disorders and answers common questions related to the GI tract. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the Gut Doctor Podcast. Today, I will be discussing non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, what it is, how we diagnose it, and what we can do about it. And to tackle this challenging topic, we will be joined today by APRN Priscilla Quilter. Priscilla, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. This topic is important, and I'm happy to be a part of this podcast today. I feel like we have a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and jump right in. What is NAFLD, uh, or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease? Right. So NAFLD, like you said, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease refers to the presence of hepatic steatosis, otherwise known as buildup of fat, when no buildup of fat around the liver, when no other cause for fat accumulation are present, for example, like heavy alcohol use or other causes of liver disease. I see. So as we see, you know, a rise in obesity and diabetes and other metabolic um, syndrome diseases, I'm assuming we're also seeing a rise in NAFLD. Is it more common in men or women? Um, yes. Unfortunately, we are seeing a significant rise in cases of this fatty liver disease, even in kids. Um, it is the most common liver disorder in the Western industrial countries. Risk factors include central obesity, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, and metabolic syndrome. Some studies do suggest it's more common in women, but then there's other studies that suggest it's common in men. So it's out there. I see. So unfortunately, even kids, that's, that's very unfortunate. I know all the trends, the CDC is saying that obesity is rising across, you know, across the globe. So um, do patients have symptoms from, from non-alcoholic fatty liver disease? How would um, you know if you had NAFLD? Yeah, great question. So typically there are no symptoms associated with fatty liver disease. Um, Patients may have an enlarged liver on physical exam, but usually the diagnosis of fatty liver disease is an incidental finding based on routine blood work and um, imaging that is found incidentally. Yeah, so I I guess this is good and bad. It's similar to other silent diseases with metabolic syndrome, you know, high blood pressure, cholesterol, um, one can't tell if they have it. So how, how does a provider go about diagnosing it or how do you diagnose it? Right. So, um, you know, when, by the time they get to the GI doctor, um, or the clinic, there typically is a reason for it, but in the community we're seeing, um, when patients come to the GI office, it's diagnosed by labs and demonstrated, um, of the fat buildup on imaging. We also have to exclude any other significant reasons, any significant alcohol use or reasons that would cause other um, elevation in their liver function tests like viral hepatitis or autoimmune hepatitis. Okay. So it's, it's a little bit of a diagnosis of exclusion. Um, Correct. Yeah. I, so not everybody needs a liver biopsy. Um, when, when do you at least want to pursue liver? Like when, when is it absolutely necessary or also if you can comment on the role of fiber scanning in these patients. Sure. So liver biopsy is recommended if the diagnosis is not clear 
based on lab patterns or findings on imaging. Um, typically not recommended right out of the first initial lab work that we're seeing, but if the trends are, are different or not typical of our pattern, that's when we recommend um, a liver biopsy. Fiber scan is a great alternative to a liver biopsy. Um, it, it adds as another diagnostic tool. It's helpful to assess the degree of scarring on the liver, which can happen as the fat continues to build on the liver. Um, however, the downside is it's not available in a lot of the hospitals, um, so it's not easily accessible to patients. I see. So for our uh, non-medical listeners, uh, fiber scan is similar to an ultrasound. Uh, it is a non-invasive imaging technique looking specifically uh, for liver scarring or fibrosis. Uh, but again, as Priscilla just said, it's not available everywhere. So uh, the widespread use is a little limited. Um, all right. So, so we've made the diagnosis uh, for one of our patients. What's next? Uh, how, how do you guide your NAFLD patients or what do you tell them to do next? Yeah, so I make sure that their immunizations for hepatitis A and B are up to date. Um, we've discussed working on lowering cholesterol, if that seems to be a driving factor, um, and also to have good blood glucose or blood sugar control, um, again, if that's the issue. Uh, weight loss is the, the hallmark treatment for fatty liver disease, um, along with aerobic exercise. I typically recommend the Mediterranean diet, but I also try to refer to dietitian if available. Oh, interesting. You know, um, I'm always fascinated by different diets uh, for diseases. Uh, as you know, you know, we do a food as medicine series with our dietitians here. What, why the Mediterranean diet for NAFLD? Well, so yes, and I agree. There's, I, I think that a lot of GI issues can be can be treated with diet. Um, and the Mediterranean diet seems to be the one that's supported the most in the literature. Um, you know, I guess the goal is to limit foods that are high in calories and increase fiber in the food. So the Mediterranean diet offers that. It's a, a lower calorie diet with good fiber, but it also has the good fats because we still need fat, um, but it does limit the saturated and trans um, fats that are in the typical like American diet. So um, when patients are looking for like a guide to start to change their diet, I typically just send them to the Mediterranean diet to start, um, you know, making some better choices or substitutions from their, their everyday diet. Oh, that's great, Priscilla. Cause I always feel like sometimes I feel kind of like I'm cheating the system. Cause I'll tell patients, Oh, you know, you have reflux or you have NAFLD okay, you need to change your diet, you need to lose weight, you need to be healthy. Um, but sometimes I feel we're limited in the specifics. So that, that's a great point. You know, we can tell them specifically, go to the Mediterranean diet and you can truly change, you know, item by item even. Um, right. What if these things don't work? What if, you know, you've had your patient, they've done the best glycemic control, they've, they've gone fully Mediterranean, uh, they've started uh, going for walks or swimming, um, and these measures still fail and uh, the NAFLD is progressing, uh, are there pharmaceutical options? So there are some studies happening within the pharmaceutical companies studying fatty, like drugs specifically for fatty liver disease. Um, and I'm sure there's more to come. I'm just not horribly comfortable talking about them, but um, we do know that vitamin E can be used in patients that have fibrosis, which is um, the scarring that I mentioned. 
um, in the setting of not having diabetes. So they can't be diabetic, but they can have some scarring. Vitamin E seems to be helpful. Um, and there's also a diabetes medication Piglotazone, or otherwise known as Actos, um, has also been used to help with fatty liver in certain cases with very close monitoring, but truly it just comes down to healthy diet, exercise, and close monitoring. Yes, uh, um, often the most challenging things for patients and providers to do, but you know, the simplest huh? uh, with, when it comes to healthy eating, exercise, and how we approach the metabolic syndrome. Um, when do you feel, uh, it's imperative to refer patients to a liver center? Yeah. So I think, you know, from a, from a gastroenterology provider standpoint, um, there's always that level of comfort with, you know, again, watching lab patterns and imaging, but, um, I refer when the liver function tests are still elevated over a period of time. Um, with documented weight loss and change of diet. So if the patient has truly, you know, bought into this and has really changed everything and things still are not improving, I do send them to the hepatologist or the liver clinic sooner than later. Um, and then the second reason why I would send would be um, for advanced fibrosis noted on scans or labs. And if there's any sign of cirrhosis, um, hopefully we are seeing these patients before they've reached the cirrhotic stage of fatty liver, which is essentially the end stage. Um, but I prefer to refer to the liver center early um, in the event that, you know, there's possible need for liver transplant. Um, but again, it's just ba based on my level of comfort and what the trends of the labs and the imaging show. That makes sense. Um, Priscilla, thank you very much. This has been a very thorough overview of a disease that I uh, unfortunately foresee will only become more prevalent as time passes. Um, so thank you. Um, that does it for another episode of the Gut Doctor Podcast. My name is Neil Parikh, and I will see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gut Doctor Podcast. For additional information about today's topic, please visit ConnecticutGI.org. Your feedback is important to us, so please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Gut Doctor, and if you think you may need to see a gastroenterologist, just trust your gut.